Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I'm so glad you've joined me, and I'm particularly glad you've joined me for this podcast because we're going to be talking about one of the most important events to happen, certainly in recent decades, and perhaps one of the most important events that's going to be happening for us Americans in our lifetimes. And that is what is taking place now with Turkey, the Kurds, Trump's role in it, all of the stories that are hitting our headlines. I have just returned from Iraqi Kurdistan. You may know where that is. That's in the northern part of Iraq. The Kurdish regional government is centered in Erbil. Uh, The Kurdish region is there in the northern part of Iraq. And it's really the closest thing the Kurds have to a state anywhere in the world. There are 35 million Kurds worldwide. uh, But this is where there's actually a Kurdish government and Kurds actually determine their own destinies and so on. Uh, I was there for a number of reasons I don't need to go into. It's nothing secret. It's just not relevant to what I'm talking about now. And so I arrived there just after Donald Trump uh, made the announcement about pulling troops from that region. I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. And I was there just as Turkish troops began pouring over the southern Turkish border into Syria and uh, began conflict with the Kurds in that region. So I was there on the ground. I was talking to Kurds. I did a lot of Kurdish television. I was on the street, so to speak, uh, even though I was there for other business. I met with some officials. Um, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I am not a diplomat. I have no official status with the U.S. Um, I was not representing the U.S. in any official way. But since I've written a book about the Kurds, been a prominent spokesman for them, done a TED Talk about them, when I'm around, they ask me to speak and comment on things. And they definitely wanted what they perceived to be a prominent American to explain what the heck was going on, why they were being betrayed. So that's I come to this podcast with that passion, possibly that rawness. Doesn't mean that I'm going to get vile or use foul language. Just be prepared for some harsh opinions. And um, and that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. So I'm glad you're with me. And I, and I love having these conversations with you. Uh, Donald Trump announced not long ago, about a week ago now, uh, that he had had a conversation with Mr. Erdogan, who is the president of Egypt. I'm sorry, Egypt. He's the president of Turkey. You can tell I'm still a little jet lagged. And uh, that he was going to withdraw the approximately 500 to 1,000 troops that we had along the border there, who basically were keeping the Turks in check and keeping the Kurds uh, somewhat protected in the northern part of Syria. You need to know that for many, many years, Many decades, uh, Turks have had, for the most part, a very negative attitude towards Kurds. Part of this is just sheer racial bigotry, uh, ethnic bigotry. Part of it is that there was a very left-leaning guerrilla communist faction of Kurds called the PKK, which blew things up and killed a lot of people in Turkey. And that, of course, turned folks against the Kurds. And so angry, unchecked, unwise, false views of the Kurds amongst the Turks make leads them to the conclusion that all Kurds are terrorists. And that is the way Mr. Erdogan speaks. Now, Donald Trump did not know any of this. I need to pause and say, I'm going to try to give you the facts as I know them. I'm a little tired of all public policy debates in America being defined by are you pro-Trump or against Trump? I've said on this podcast many times, I'm right of center, 
Uh, I'm a conservative. I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm not hard right. Uh, and I am glad for some of the things the Trump administration has done, obviously, as a conservative, but I'm very concerned about his manner, very concerned about his ignorance, very concerned about his pride and arrogance, and all of that comes to bear on this situation. So don't please don't just listen to this podcast trying to figure out whether I'm pro or anti-Trump. That's not what this is about. This is about something that our president has done, which is leading to utter disaster. So we have to go beyond just pro or anti-Trump. All right. So the bottom line is Mr. Trump uh, not long ago had a conversation with Mr. Erdogan. This is about a week ago from when I'm recording this. And um, as I say, I don't think Trump was aware of this history with the Kurds and Turkey. He knows there's animosity between them. Uh, He has spoken in the past as though he's pro-Kurd, though he betrayed a great deal of ignorance about the situation on the ground. What I think was guiding Mr. Trump largely in his conversation with Erdogan is his sense that he's this gifted, amazing deal maker. Number one, he thinks like a businessman, not like a statesman. His awareness that he had made a promise to bring troops home so that we wouldn't fight endless wars around the world. Uh, his sense that things might be heating up in the Middle, Middle East. And by the way, I think he also was guided by many presidents um, predilection, they're lean, to do something big on the international stage when they're having domestic troubles. This is this is very, very common. Uh, many presidents have done it on both sides of the aisle. So he decided to cut a deal with Erdogan. Now, some people have cynically said this was about Trump's property in Turkey. He, there's a Trump Tower in Istanbul, and there he owns other properties. I'm not that cynical. I don't believe that Mr. Trump uh, engaged in betraying an entire people group largely because of hotel property he owns in Turkish cities. Um, But I do think he was played, as Peggy Noonan said on a Sunday morning talk show, he was rolled by Erdogan. Um, I do believe he thinks he's a deal maker. I do think that Mr. Trump thinks he is the a great judge of character. And I do think that he has a lean towards strong, even dictatorial leaders. So I think Mr. Erdogan complained about the Turks on the southern border, um, suggested a policy of taking immigrants, um, Arab immigrants, and moving them into those regions along the northern border of Syria so that Turkey would not have the trouble with the Kurds they sometimes have. And I think that Mr. Trump thought about the promises he'd made to bring American troops home. And he also thought like a businessman in terms of the expense. And so he began bringing 500 to 1,000. It's more like 500, actually. But I'll be generous and say 500 to 1,000 troops home who were in that region, who were keeping peace, who were the main uh, force, at least in the minds of Turks, keeping them in check. Of course, they could have been overrun. But I think the Turks have enough respect, not only for American military might, but also for American presence. Uh, to not do anything while they were there. Once Mr. Trump announced that he did two things at once, by the way, he announced that the American troops would be pulled. And he also announced at the same time, meaning there had been a primary communication or conversation about this, that the Turks would be coming across the border to clean out that area on the northern border border of Syria, southern border of, of Turkey. Now, any of us who pay attention to this situation, know anything about the history, know anything about the tensions, know that, to put it bluntly, Turks hate Kurds. That's not exactly true because many Turks are Kurds. But you understand what I'm saying. The Turkish military treats Kurds like so much cannon fodder. They assassinate them. They kill them. They kill babies. They kill women. They don't care. They shoot them on the sides of the roads. This is common. You can go on YouTube and see these videos that have been there for decades, or at least as long as YouTube has existed. 
And so we all knew that's what would happen. We did not expect anything measured. We did not expect anything um, policekeeping. We did not expect a peacekeeping force to move into that region from Turkey. That is not what you look to Turkey for. So it began. And sure enough, sure enough, just as Trump had announced, because he'd already had conversations with Erdogan, the bloodshed began. Now, you need to understand a little something about Mr. Erdogan. Uh, This is a man who's an extreme Islamist. This is a man who hates the Kurds. This is a man who has talked about retaking Jerusalem in a crusade within the last couple of years. Uh, he's a nut job. He does not know what he's doing. He's engineered uh, the appearance of coups in his country so he could wipe out his enemies. This is, a, this is a man who is not balanced, not wise, not a good leader. His own people, for the most part, don't like him. And he's a militarist. He's a, he's a, he wants to restore an empire. Uh, and so he wants to, he's doing this with the cooperation of Donald Trump. So Donald Trump announces this. The Kurds, Turks, I'm sorry, begin to pour across the border. At that point, not that I have any role in any of this, but just so you understand my vantage point, I was in Erbil at that time. By the way, having flown through Turkey to get there, I'd flown through the magnificent new Istanbul airport and uh, had many, many conversations. When I fly, I tend to engage people in conversations. You're sitting around in, you know, restaurants and clubs and lounges and seats and lobbies and gates and all that kind of thing. And and I'm kind of large and look European or American. So people would come up and just ask me straight out, where you know, where are you from and what do you think? And why did Trump do this? And what do you think of the Turks? And what do you think of the Kurds? And I spent hours having those conversations. And the Turks, by I need to say, the, the guy on the street was pretty much confused, largely because on the one hand, Mr. Trump had had given permission, had green-lighted Turkish troops pouring across the border. He'd given the green light to Mr. Erdogan. And then he threatened to destroy the country, (laughs) to destroy Turkey economically. Uh, if if they if they misbehaved, well, this is this is ridiculous. It's like giving giving a criminal permission to rob a bank and then saying, well, now we're going to go in there and blow up the bank so we kill the criminals. It's just it's 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 confusing for a statesman to speak this way. And so the people on the ground were confused, but of course they are you know believing many of them believing Mr. Erdogan's statements that the Turks intend to kill them and engage in terrorist actions. I'm sorry, the Kurds intend to kill them and engage in terrorist actions. Again, forgive my jet lag. And uh, so the whole thing was chaos. By the time I got to Iraqi Kurdistan, of course, the Kurds are just devastated. Uh, you have to understand that these Kurds fought at our side against ISIS. In fact, these Kurds fought at our side against Saddam. Uh, these Kurds were the main ones standing guard on, in prison camps um, that were filled with ISIS members. And by the way, separate facilities for women and for men. So you have the ISIS wives and their children in one place, and those people are vicious. They're stabbing guards. They're killing each other. Anybody who seems like a compromiser is likely to have their throat slit overnight. So the women are don't think they're just docile. They're vicious, these ISIS wives. And then you have also the prison camps for the men. And the, and the Kurds were standing guard on all that. So they have been our allies. They have been faithful. As I've said many times in this podcast, they are for the most part pro-Western, pro-democracy, and in many cases, surprisingly pro-Israel. They're the perfect allies that we want in the Middle East. So I believe that Mr. Trump, needing distraction from domestic difficulties, not fully understanding the situation, leaning towards strong leaders, um, wanting to fulfill a bad promise that he would pull American troops uh, home from abroad. And uh, again, completely having been rolled, as Peggy Noonan said, by Mr. Erdogan, gave the green light, 
began pulling American troops, and the bloodshed began. Now you can see on television, you can see on YouTube, which is a good place to go for current video. Uh, by the way, you want to pay attention to Kurdistan 24 and RUDA, R-U-D-A-W, the two Kurdish news services. You'll get uh, very accurate video. You won't understand a lot of what's being said, but you'll get very accurate video. Um, and the Kurds are executing, I'm sorry, the Turks are executing the Kurds. Uh, they have air power. Uh, the Kurds have no response to Turkish air power. Uh, the Turkish air power, Turkish, Turkish military is the fourth largest in NATO. So uh, the Kurds are great fighters. They were the bodyguards to the czars. They are tremendous fighters throughout their history and served very well at the side of U.S. troops. But they have, uh, they have no answer for Turkish air power. So as we speak, they're being murdered. There, are, there were videos on Sunday morning uh, television. I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, uh, the 12th. And uh, they, are, they are, I'm sorry, the 13th. And they are, uh, the videos are terrible. Uh, people being just executed on the side of the road, men, women, children, and hundreds have already been killed. This is going to continue. And now the uh, Turks have signaled their intention to move even further into Syria. And it's going to create a mess. I was meeting with Kurdish officials in Erbil, and they estimate that though they've already taken a million refugees, many of them Christian, already refugees from ISIS. Remember, remember how ISIS took over Mosul, which was a Christian center, drove everybody into the Kurdish region. The Kurds graciously took them in. So of the six million people in the KRG, a million of them are refugees. Now, the estimate is there could be another 300,000 refugees flooding into the KRG, again, this Kurdish region in northern Iraq. Uh, many, many deaths, of course. And, uh, and of course, the, the, while I do not want to diminish the deaths at all, also being destroyed is American honor in, the, in that part of the world. Uh, weakness is not celebrated in any part of the world, but trust me, in the Middle East, they really respect strength. They respect that you keep your word and that you are strong. And Trump has done the opposite of both. He has not kept his word and he has not shown strength. So while it's certainly the story is certainly not about me, I want you to know that I'm usually pretty popular amongst the Kurds just because I speak for them and love them and I'm there all the time and trying to help develop projects and working in league with other organizations to help bring relief to the refugees and what have you. Um, but but you can even go on my Facebook uh, page and you'll see that while most Kurds are gracious and thank you, we know that the American people are not the same as their government and we don't trust Trump, but we like you Americans who are you know who are pro Kurd. Etc. Etc. Uh, there are people who are furious. There are people who are raging at me because they don't have any of the American, I guess, close enough to rage at. Um, yes, my life was threatened. Yes, people are angry. Yes, people are saying, "Get out of my country." And again, the story is not about me or whether I was offended emotionally. That's not the point. I was fine and traveling in luxury. But my point is that this is how angry and confused they are. We didn't behave like a superpower. We are a superpower and we need to act like it. Superpowers don't pull 500 or 1,000 troops home uh, from every little outpost in the world where they're doing a tremendous amount of good. And here's the analogy that I stumbled on as I was looking out the window of my plane on the way home. If I offered to take an old lady across the street, across the busy street, uh, that's an honorable thing. But if I abandon her in the middle of the road, you know, under some state laws, under some legal systems, I've actually committed a crime. In other words, if I've offered to render aid, and I render aid only partially, so it actually endangers the person I'm supposed to be helping further, I've actually committed a crime. 
And that's a lot of what we've done now in the U.S. We have helped the Kurds, and then we've abandoned them in exactly the moment when they are under great threat. And when they've done us a great many services, when they've helped us, when they've cared for us. Um, I've been in Iraqi Kurdistan when there was danger about, and I want you to know that Kurds wrapped themselves around my body. Kurds took me into their home. Kurds called to make sure I was okay. Um, Kurds are some of the most gracious giving, generous, loving people in the world. And they believe in covenant. You stand with them, they'll stand with you. But you betray them. They've got a long history of being betrayed. And it's a quick reaction for them to say, well, you're not really with us. And now it's a whole different story. So I believe that we are in the midst of a mess. And I think it is largely because Donald Trump does not know very much about international affairs, does not know very much about foreign policy. He thinks like a businessman, not a statesman. And he saw what it was costing to put those troops on the ground. Uh, He saw American lives in harm's way, which is true. That's what it's like when you put troops on the ground to keep peace in, in remote regions of the world, remote and troubled regions of the world. And... He decided to pull them in. I don't think he checked with anybody. We have the indication, and certainly my friends in the White House say he didn't check with anybody. He did this on his own. He can do that as commander-in-chief. That's, that's what we empower him with. But he didn't check with anybody. And so it's fascinating now in the wake of all this to see how many, many of the leaders of his own party, everyone, of course, in the opposite party, the Democrats, but many of the leaders in his own party are coming out against him. Retired generals are coming out saying this is what he does, and it's wrong. It's going to get us in trouble. You should look at the interviews with General Mattis. He's brilliant on this subject, and he resigned because of this very situation. And so we are in a mess. The Middle East is being realigned. Turks will press their way, possibly all the way, all the way into Iraq, certainly through much of Syria. You do not want Turkey to have more power. Um, there is every indication that the uh, Syrian Kurds will align with what are called the Russian Kurds because Russia is so present uh, in Syria that they may take a role. We, we may have just seen the match put to the tender that leads to a massive war in that region. And all of it was being prevented by the highly skilled and courageous 500 to 1,000 U.S. troops there. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not just engaging in idle patriotism. A well-trained special forces unit from the U.S. is worth a battalion of some people's, uh, some other nation's uh, military. We, we, it, it may sound, not sound like very much at 500 to 1,000 troops, but let me assure you that well-trained special forces U.S. Special Forces on the ground in a situation like that. They know what they're doing. They're highly skilled. They use amazing weapons. They are worth many, many times their number. And so they do a lot of good. But I will tell you that the president has enraged everyone. I think this is actually a bigger issue than the Ukraine. I'm sure some folks won't agree. In the Ukraine, yeah, he was digging up dirt about one of his political opponents. He shouldn't have done it. and It was a violation of the law. I'm going to leave that to other heads. I don't, frankly, I, I just... Don't have the bandwidth to think much about the Ukraine situation. Uh, I've already said in this podcast, I think he'll be impeached in the House and probably not impeached in the Senate, and we'll just go right on. But all of that to say that this is serious. This is serious. This was a misuse of power. This was ignorance. This was arrogance. This was him thinking in terms of the economics of the situation rather than thinking as the leader of a superpower. We have betrayed some of the greatest people in the world. We will see a rise in terrorism as a result because we have shown weakness. And you show your enemies weakness and they will arise. Now, ISIS is on the rise. Those prison camps the Kurds were guarding are being busted up. As, of, as we speak today, there are videos of car bombings to um, facilitate escapes. Those prison camps are going to start leaking people because the Kurds will, take, uh, will turn their attention to fighting the, the Turks. 
the Kurds will have to abandon those prison camps. ISIS will flood out by the thousands, and the numbers are are dicey, but uh, the minimum is 10,000. The maximum I've heard is 30,000. So somewhere in there is the number of ISIS uh, warriors that we have, we are guarding, and that and that larger number includes the women, and they too are vicious. They too are killing people in their camps. They too are trying to foment escape. So we've created quite a mess. And again, the issue is not whether I'm pro or contra Trump. I would have said exactly the same thing if my favorite presidents had done this. Uh, this was a disaster. Now let me offer some solutions real quick, and then I'll bring this to a close. The quickest way we can help is to buy by providing a no-fly zone. We have an airbase in Incilic in Turkey. We can easily put our planes in the air. That would at least keep the Turkish Air Force uh, from bedeviling the Kurds. The Kurds can pretty much hold their own on the ground, but the quickest way to save lives is to provide a no-fly zone immediately. This can be done. This could be done in the next two hours. <laughs> this could be done in no time. Uh, you could probably have planes scrambled in 30 minutes. Uh, I'm not an expert in those things, but I'm guessing. So that's the first thing we should do. The second thing we should do is back the Turks up. Donald Trump has all these magical powers he keeps talking about when it comes to decimating the Turkish economy. He should use that threat and others to get the Turks to back up. Uh, there is no reason they should have been allowed to cross the border. There weren't terrorist actions going across the border. The U.S. was doing fine. It was legitimate for them to be there. And this was a bad move by, a, uh, by an ill-informed man. And so that's the first thing that we can do to make a difference. The second thing we can do, the first thing is the no-fly zone. The second thing is to back the Turks up. And, the, and then finally, I have to comment on this. When Donald Trump realized that he'd made a big mistake, that leaders of his own party like Lindsey Graham and, and uh, Marsha Blackburn and others began to come out against what he has done. And by the way, I don't know of any Republican who, hasn't, who, is, who is standing firmly with him except those in his own cabinet. He then said one of the dumbest things I've ever heard a U.S. president say. And that is that the Kurds were not with us at Normandy. The Kurds were not with us at Normandy. Now, if that's the standard, there are a lot of people we shouldn't be talking to. The Saudis weren't with us at Normandy either. Neither were the Filipinos. Neither were, shall we go on? Um, but this is just plain ignorance. It was based on a ridiculous article by a man named Schlichter, who's a former army, army colonel and should have known better. Uh, is currently an attorney, just a simply ridiculous article in which he made that point that the Kurds were not with us as Normandy. The Kurds have fought with the U.S. with everything they have whenever they've had opportunity. And in 1945, they were not a people group. They had no government. They had no military. It's ridiculous to speak of them as a people who might have joined us like they were a nation in 1945. Again, Donald Trump's stunning ignorance. Now, some of you are going to walk away from this podcast and just say Mansfield hates Trump and he just, he just, there's no talking to him. Well, it's not true. I take my politics issue by issue, policy by policy. There's much that the Trump administration has done that is good and is wise. And this kind of thing here with his arrogance and, and uh, lack of knowledge of international affairs is going to be devastating. So I wish I could be more positive. The bottom line is we should quickly redress this. We should quickly, quickly get back involved. We should limit air power and we should back the Turks up because they could set the Middle East aflame and all of it was unnecessary. 500 to 1,000 troops is nothing. I'm not talking about the lives. I'm not talking about the families and the children. Remember that I'm the son of an army colonel who spent years away from home fighting America's wars. I understand that sacrifice, and I'm not putting it down.
But the idea that to save the money, or and perhaps the lives, though no lives were lost initially, of 500 to 1,000 troops on the ground in northern Syria, that we green-lighted this situation, we may be paying for this for a generation. So let's get smart. Those of you in positions of power who listen to this podcast, thank you. Please turn and make a difference. Please show the courage of your convictions. And let's be praying that something changes here. Thanks for listening. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.